Welcome to the World Impact Ministries Sermon of the Week with today's message by Pastor Beverly Rayfeld. I'm going to start off by uh, sharing. Uh, I always, you know, do just somehow family stories just always tie in somehow. My poor kids. Um, this was a number of years ago, and I was at standing in a grocery a deli area um, getting some wings that my sons wanted for dinner. And I always said General Cho's. I wanted some General Cho's wings. And my oldest son that was standing next to me when I ordered my General Cho's wings, he looked at me and very loudly said, it's General Sao. And I'm like, it's General Cho. And he's like, no, mom, it's General Sao. And we went back and forth. And you realize, like, as a mother with her 11-year-old son in front of a line of people in the grocery line, um, it had nothing to do with what the name of that was anymore. It had to do with who was going to have the last word. And at one point, I just was, I was seeing red, and I had had envisioned me actually wrestling that boy to the ground to show him <clears throat> Who was the authority in that argument? <clears throat> and so just keep this in mind for later on in my message because sometimes it is, <clears throat> it is all about who gets the last word. And, and so um, I want <clears> to <throat> clear my throat is what I want to do. you a little bit of a history lesson today. Do you mind? It's not boring, I promise you, but I, I, I feel like it's relevant for us to understand what was happening um, 2,000 years ago when Christ came to earth, when he came in bodily form, that we understand what he actually came into. Because we sing these songs, oh, come let us adore him, oh, come all you faithful. And we have these, these amazing pictures of the shepherds sitting on the hill and the angels appear and it's like, whoa, you know, glory to God in the highest. And we have these pictures of this amazing, you know, this amazing time that people were experiencing And so before I get too far into this, I want to give you some background on the state of affairs at the birth of Christ. Because I'm telling you, when I began to read into some of this stuff, it shocked me. There was a lot that that, um, David and I have been learning. Um, And so I'm going to go into, I'm going to start in Luke chapter 2. And you need to know a few things about Luke, who is the author of Luke. He He was an investigative reporter of sorts. He wasn't willing to take things at face value, but he wanted to make sure that he got the most accurate account recorded. And the book of Luke is actually a letter that Luke wrote to another Christian named Theophilus. And this letter was written for the purpose of presenting to Theophilus a very complete and well-authenticated narrative of the life of Christ. And actually, in chapter 1 of the book of Luke, Luke actually says, Since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, 
I have decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Okay? So keep that in mind. Luke had investigated the truth of what was going on in the, in the, um, in the life of Christ from the time he was born. And so I'm going to start out by reading the first uh, couple of verses of Luke chapter 2. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was, a regist- this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. I'm going to stop right there. What was going on in the world when God chose to reveal himself in Christ? What was going on in the days of Caesar Augustus? See, when I hear that name just as a, a, in, in a part of scripture, I think, oh, he was the ruling, he was like the president, or he was the, you know, the potentate of that country or that area. And, and so when you just take a scripture and you only read what's in front of you, there's so much that's missed. And, and so the, the world at that time was ruled by the Romans. And the Romans had done something quite astounding. So this is in the days of Christ. This is right, this is right when he's ready to be born, right when the announcement is coming. And, and um, the Romans had conquered so much. It, it, was, it was almost like they ruled the entire world. That, that was kind of what was out there. Now, mind you, it was astounding because there was no electricity. There was no internet. There was no phone. There was no mass media. There was no Facebook and no AP Newswire. They had established an empire that stretched entirely across India, straight into, uh, uh, across Europe, straight into India, almost the entire Middle East. It was almost a worldwide, the world as they knew it was pretty much ruled by Rome. It was a new world order. It It was a takeover. And that was in the days of Caesar Augustus. He wasn't just the leader of a country. The word expansion to him was always a military campaign. So I want you to think about this. I'm going to give you a quick rundown of some things, uh, of what things were like in the days of Caesar Augustus. And I'm going to give you some true factual history. Things, like literally things have been uncovered. Tablets of stone have been uncovered with some of these things recorded on them from in those days. So there was, there was I'm going to give you some, some insight on a couple of Roman generals. There was a Roman general by the name of Germanicus who conquered the entire east side of the Roman Empire by enslaving anyone of a different race. Anyone. So if the color of your skin was any different than that of the Romans, he would enslave you. Some records show that he had, he had taken as many as 30 million people as slaves. He went in with swords, and if you agreed to become his slave, he would let you live. If you didn't, you would die. This is not just a story. This is not just a story. This was life. This was history. There was another general named Pompey who took 12 million slaves and another named Titus who conquered Jerusalem. And one of the things that Titus and his men did for entertainment is they would nail people to crosses, which is no surprise because we saw that play out in the word of God over and over again. A Roman general named Cassius enslaved 30,000 people in a town called Magdala. Then he changed the law and Magdala, and Magdala became the headquarters for the Roman soldiers. Now, just, just follow me. I know history can be very boring, but just follow me. Every person in Magdala, Magdala is particularly women, were now Roman property. 
And the Roman soldiers could do whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted, especially with the women, without any fear of recompense or, or consequences. Mary Magdalene, who became a devout disciple of Jesus Christ, came from Magdala and would have been the property of Rome at one point. If you put the pieces together, it is no wonder she was in the condition she was in when she encountered Jesus. The woman had been to hell and back. In the days of Caesar Augustus, there was a Roman general named Varus, and Varus went into a city called Sapphiras, who had determined, um, because they were Jews, and to them there is no God like Jehovah, but this man came in, and they had determined they would not bow to Roman rule. And I'm going to get into what Roman rule looked like in particular. He went in, and what he did is he had them take out their coins and ordered them to read the inscription on the coin. And I'm going to give you a little bit of history on what coins looked like back in those days. Coins in those days actually had pictures of the rulers and the emperors on them on one side. And on the other side, they would print on the coin kind of, it, it was their way of, of, um, of, of, bringing the news to another town. They would print on the other side of the coin what, that, that they were coming to a particular city. So a coin was printed for that particular city. And on the back side, um, where, where, from where it showed their face on one side, on the other side, it would, it would announce what they were going to do when they came. And a lot of them showed them coming in with, on horses with swords, and one foot of the horse was up trampling on, on the people that they were going to enslave. Meaning we're coming, and if you don't bow, this is what's happening. And so, and, and on, the, on the coin, it would say, Caesar is Lord. And I'm going to get more into this. Caesar is Lord. That was what on our, our say, in God we trust. On their coins, on every coin, because Augustus Caesar ruled, it, the coin said, Caesar is Lord. And so this general came into this town who, who had determined ahead of time they were not going to bow to Roman rule. And he went and he ordered them to take out their coins and to read the inscription on the back of their coin, which said, Caesar is Lord. And Jews knew that there was no God like Jehovah. So they would not say, Caesar is Lord. And what Cassius did is that day he took every one of them in that town, all 2,000 of them, and he crucified them side by side because they would not say Caesar is Lord. An entire town wiped out in a day by one general. These are just a few of the stories from the days of Caesar Augustus. So from now on, when you read that scripture, and it says, in the day of Caesar Augustus, I don't want to forget what that statement actually meant. It wasn't just acknowledging a ruler. It was acknowledging the conditions that the people were under with Rome in power. So the Roman Empire was ruled by these generals, but the generals were ruled by the Caesars. And there was more than one Caesar. As one died, there would be another one that come up. But right now, we're going to stay with Caesar Augustus. Julius Caesar was a Caesar that, Caesar that ruled before Caesar Augustus. He, w- he was a father, but actually Augustus was an adopted son. And, um, and that Julius put in power, uh, had, had adopted him so he could, could reign after his death. And everyone looked, because Julius Caesar had declared himself as God, 
And that's why the coin said Caesar is Lord. He, he, he considered himself God and, and, um, and believe it or not, that around his funeral that there was this massive bright star that appeared and it shot off. And everybody said, oh, there's a sign. Because they were always looking for signs of the gods. There's a sign that, that, um, that, that Julius Caesar was God. And so therefore, when, it, when Caesar Augustus came into power, he said, I am the son of God. My father was God, but I am the son of God. I want you to start to hear some parallels here. The belief system throughout the Roman Empire was that Caesar Augustus was the son of God. Since I am the son of God, therefore I should be worshipped. So he actually established a 12-day celebration called Advent. Did you know that? He established a 12-day birthday celebration for himself that he called Advent. And this is what, the, it's, it's just crazy when you go and you begin to realize, well, I always thought I knew the, uh, the origination of Advent. I did not. It started back in those days. He had groups of people that would engrave his accomplishments on stone tablets. He'd hang them in all the places of worship. So whatever God you went in there to worship, you would see the accolades of Caesar in front of you. Um, whenever the great deeds of Augustus were proclaimed, they were presented with a Greek word that actually said, meant the good news or the gospel. Interesting. I'm not kidding. I didn't find this in one area. I found this over and over and over again. Every record that talked about Caesar Augustus, his reign. This was who he was and this is what he proclaimed having no idea what was about to come. The belief system throughout the Roman Empire was that Augustus Caesar was the one who would bring the good news of salvation. Seriously, this was written on tablets. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. A kingdom of peace who would free men from all fear. He would offer, during this time of Advent, he would actually offer forgiveness and a fresh start to all of his followers who worshipped him. Does this sound familiar? These were the days of Caesar Augustus. For 17 years, this huge marketing propaganda was spread throughout the entire Roman Empire in reference to Caesar Augustus. He was, the, he was known as the savior of the world. During Advent, there were slogans that were chanted, Caesar is Lord. There is no other name on earth by which men can be saved. Caesar is Lord. There will be peace on earth and goodwill to all men. This verbiage um, from the Prean, uh, and, and you wouldn't know what a Prean inscription was. I didn't know what it was. I'm just, I'm just, I found out what it was. This was a tablet that was actually discovered about 100 years ago from in the days of Caesar. And this is what was inscribed on this tablet. It was written, they believe, in 9 BC. It came from the Senate of Rome, and it explains why the Senate actually modified the calendar of that day. This is what was written. They could not read it all because some of the words were wrong. Are you guys okay? Are you following me? Or am I putting you to sleep? Okay. I just, I just, I just, I'm, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get to where this applies to us, you guys. But this is what it said in the days of Caesar Augustus. This is what was written by the Senate about him and why they were changing the new year. The most divine Caesar we should consider equal to the beginning of all things, 
For when everything was falling into disorder and tending toward dissolution, he restored it once more and gave the whole world a new aspect. Caesar, the common good fortune of all, the beginning of life and vitality. All the cities, cities unanimous, unanimous, unanimously adopt the birthday of the divine Caesar as the new beginning of the year. Whereas the providence which has regulated our whole existence has brought our life to the climax of perfection in giving to us the Emperor Augustus, who being sent to us and our descendants as Savior has put an end to war and has set all things in order. And whereas having become God manifest, Caesar has fulfilled all hopes of earlier times. The birthday of the God Augustus has been the whole world, the beginning of good news concerning him. This is what was written about Caesar Augustus. So you, and you read that and you hear, read the words, in the days of Caesar Augustus, there was a man who had set himself up on earth like God. But the peace of Rome, the, the, but the peace that Rome claimed prevailed throughout the reign of Caesar was no peace at all. It was military oppression that kept people in a state of fear, of dread, of absolute exhaustion, completely incapacitated. Everything the Romans took, they took by trampling, pillaging, raping, and enslaving, and they ruled the people by one thing only, by fear. All of the violence even, it was only meant to get people into fear. Because once they, once they got them into fear, they became incapacitated, they were helpless, they were hopeless, and they didn't dare try to uprise again. Fear is a powerful tool. Those were the days of Caesar Augustus. So I want to go back to Luke 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock at night. And I love where this is going. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. And see, we think the shepherds are like, oh, I want to hear the good news. No, the shepherds in that day, that word good news only meant one thing. It meant Caesar. And they knew fully, they were fully aware of what the conditions of that time was. And so when they heard the word good news, they knew it was anything but good news. Because good news in that time, because Jesus had not arrived yet, only meant Caesar. It meant fear. It meant enslavement. It meant control. It meant oppression. It meant lack. It meant poverty. It meant everything that was opposite of good news. But see, the angel didn't stop there. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And they're still thinking, yeah. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. See, they've still, they've heard this before. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. And for the first time, they heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For the first time, that word good news was not linked with a man who brought dread into his path. For the first time, they heard the good news of someone that was coming that had the last word. This angel shone, and he was not talking about Caesar. This angel appeared, and he was talking about the Christ child that they had been waiting for. They knew he was coming. But see, to that point, the good news had only been coming from one area. That word good news had only been applied to Caesar. And in that, mo- in that moment, they realized there was a shift taking place. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Not, not Caesar. Christ the Lord. See, this was not just a story about God becoming man. It's a story about God invading a situation of utter despair and bringing hope. This was not about Caesar who was in power. This was about who is actually Lord. This was not about who or what rules in the moment or at any given time, but about who reigns for eternity. This is about overthrowing a temporary government with a permanent government. And when this news came, it rocked their world. It changed everything from what they were encountering in front of them. Nobody had dared raise up and challenge the Romans. And this angel appeared and said, this day, Christ is born And it is peace on earth and goodwill to all men. And they knew that it no longer was a lie. They knew it was not coming from someone who made false promises. They knew it was not an earthly God. They knew knew that something was shifting. See, in the days of Caesar Augustus, the generals would ride into a city carrying a Roman aquila. And a Roman Aquila was a long staff, and on the top of it was a a large brass eagle. And every regiment had a Roman Aquila. It was a prominent symbol used in ancient Rome. A large, uh, it just, it was massive, and they would carry it into a city to show their dominance. Pilate was famous for carrying the Roman Aquila when he would travel to Jerusalem from Caesarea, especially at Passover. There would be around, they're talking about a quarter of a million Jews that would come into Jerusalem at Passover. And Pilate would make sure that during Passover that he carried that Aquila into the city because the Jews during Passover, they were singing songs about God's will to rescue them from their oppressors. And to shut down the possibility of any kind of an uprising from the Jews, he would ride in on his horse and chariot, and he would point the Roman Aquila at the Jews. And when he did, they had to stop singing. They had to show submission to his authority. He would point the Aquila, and and, and the symbolism of, of that to the people was, I am only singing because the Romans are allowing me to sing. 
But when that Aquila came out, I need to shut my mouth. The Roman Aquila was an emblem of total and complete dominance. Rome's evangelism strategy was this. We're sending an army to your town. You will proclaim Caesar is Lord and become our slaves, or we will crucify you. But one night, in the middle of the field, to a group of shepherds, the announcement of the arrival of the true government, the only government, the government that had come to set itself up on earth from that point forward, Things were going to change. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Not just the Romans, for all people, Jews and Gentiles, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. See, fear has a way in our lives of making a moment or a circumstance or a season feel like it's permanent. Fear cripples us. Fear incapacitates us. Fear will have you forget what joy even feels like because you cannot experience joy and fear at the same time. I'm going to tell you something about fear. Fear is not an emotion. It's actually not even a feeling. Fear is a spirit, and I'm going to simplify something right here. How many of you have come up against circumstances at one point or another, and we all have, I know, there's not a, a, where you literally feel this movement of fear that goes down your back, your spine, and it curls right up in your belly? Have you ever felt that? I want you to raise your hand if you've ever felt. It's it's not like a snake. It's nothing, but it's just this tingling feeling that goes down. It just goes, goes through your body, and it curls up right in your belly. Have you ever felt that? That's the spirit of fear. And see, I think we've tolerated this thing for far too long. Because there's a new government that's been established on the earth. And Jesus has the final word. It's done. And these things that we've been afraid of, these things that we've been fearful for, for our future. See, I've been there. I'm, I'm all, I can only preach what I have experienced and I can only preach what I live. I will never stand up here and preach to you something I have not lived and experienced myself. I can't. And I remember about 15 years ago sitting at my table studying on, on I don't remember what morning of the week it was, but I was studying and and it was in the early morning and we were facing a very difficult time. And I remember as I was sitting there, I felt this thing tingle down my spine and curl up in my stomach, just this pit. Sometimes it shows up here as a pit. Other times it's almost like a rock that's sitting on your chest where you can't breathe. 
that's not, a, that's not a feeling. It's not an emotion, you guys. It's a spirit. And I remember as I sat there and this thing, I felt it come on me and I felt it, uh, sit, it just sit in my stomach, just this knot in my stomach. And as I was sitting there, it just, I, was, I, just, I didn't even know. I couldn't read my Bible. And I'm sitting there, my, and, and, and my Bible was open, and, and I didn't even know where to turn, and I'm just sitting there thinking of everything that we were up against. And I just, I looked down in the scripture in front of me that uh, it said something very simple, give God the glory that is due his name. And the Lord spoke something to me in that, in that moment. He said, Beverly, what you just felt is the spirit of fear. And you open your mouth and you begin to praise me and that thing can't stand it. It'll leave. And you have the power to bind this thing up and cast him out of your house. And I began to open my mouth and I said, fear, I bind you in the name of Jesus. And I cast you out of this place. There is no room for you here. See, we've become too familiar, you guys, with the spirit of fear. And it's not because we're horrible people. It's just because he extends out the Aquila. And we think he has the final word. But see, that's all he has is fear. That's all he has to dominate our thought life, you guys, is fear. That's all. And you know that Aquila, it silenced the people from praising God. And so what we need to do is we need to rise up and say there's no God like Jehovah. There's a new government that I serve. There's a new government that is over me. That spirit of fear, that day I learned a lesson because I literally felt that thing leave. And I, I don't, I, I'm not, I'm not going to over-spiritualize anything. I, I, do, I do not over-spiritualize things. I felt it come on me, and I felt it when it left. And the minute I opened my mouth and began to rebuke that thing, I got up out of my chair, and I'm like, you have no hold on me. You have no dominion here. There is nothing in me that belongs to you. In the name of Jesus, be gone. And I began to worship him. I began to open my mouth and pray, Father, you are so good. Oh, God, you reign forever. I began to declare out the goodness of God. And I'm telling you, the freedom that came into me in that moment and the joy that began to erupt, not because my circumstances had changed, but because of the authority that I recognized that I was under, which had nothing to do with a Roman Aquila. So in that night, when the angel showed up in the middle of those fields with the shepherds, it was the beginning of the end. Hallelujah. See, we like to sing Christmas songs, and it's just fun to do the traditional Christmas songs. But do we understand? Do we understand what we were saved from? We weren't just saved for eternity. We were saved for the here and now. We were saved to be under the authority of this new government now. Now. Here and now. Kelsey, I want you to come. Through every account, and I want you to hear this, through every account of the birth of Christ in the Gospels, there are two words that appear over and over and over and over and over again. Two words. 
to Zacharias, the message was, fear not, your prayers have been heard. So I want to repeat that to you today. If you are trying to remember what Christmas is about, I'm going to give you the original message. Fear not, for your prayers have been heard. Do you know that God is still answering prayers that you forgot you ever prayed? Do you know that just because you stop praying about a certain thing doesn't mean that God isn't still working on it? Do you understand that the prayers that you prayed five years ago, though you may not have seen them come to fulfillment, just because you haven't prayed over them in the last five years does not mean he's not moving on it. I have proof of that in my life. For 10 years, I prayed for a number of people to come to Christ. I had a nephew who was born into so much just junk. I knew that my brother was dealing drugs. I knew that there were people in and out of that house. I knew that my nephew was, was, was a very at-risk child because of the stuff going in and out of that house. And I knew that his mother, who had never really known him, she was incredibly lost. And I prayed for this mother and son for years. And then I stopped praying and, and I was living my life and going on. Do you know that 10 years after I stopped praying, I got a call from my sister. My nephew that I had prayed for came to Christ in a radical way. He had a dream and a vision one night. And Jesus appeared to him in a dream and a vision in Seattle, Washington. And it arrested him. And he gave his life to the Lord. He was baptized in the Holy Spirit within a month. And that boy is a missionary like you want. You want an old missionary? You, you talk to my nephew. But it didn't stop there. Fast forward um, about a year ago, my nephew messaged me, and he said, guess what, Aunt Bev? He said, my mom just called me, and she got radically saved. I hadn't said a prayer for, I haven't said a prayer for Jen in 15 years. But see, God didn't stop working because I, he was answering my prayers that I hadn't prayed in, I hadn't prayed him in 15 years. He was still answering my prayers. So every prayer that you prayed, God has heard. And the prayers that you forgot about, he still hears it. So Zacharias, he said, fear not, your prayers have been heard. To Mary, the message was, fear not, for you have found favor with me, Mary. See, some of us get stuck because we feel like the favor of God has come off of our life because the circumstances just aren't looking quite right. Do you know that you don't have to be perfect to be in the favor of God? See, I used to think that when, I, when I'm feeling righteous, oh yeah, all is good. But man, on my bad days when I'm not feeling so righteous, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. God's favor, oh no, today is his wrath. Absolutely not. If you have ever, ever come to Christ in a way that was sincere and said, no matter what, I want you in my life. I want to give my life to you. I am a sinner and I need a Savior. If you have ever done that, I promise you, God's favor is on you. To the shepherds, he said, fear not, great joy has arrived. Fear not, there's a new government that's being established right now. Woo! To Joseph, to Joseph, the husband of Mary, fear not what is happening in your life. This woman that I've given you, this stunning set of circumstances that don't make sense, Fear not what is happening in your life is a work of the Holy Spirit. 
It may not look the way that you thought it was going to, but can you trust it's the work of the Holy Spirit? What is that thing that is dominating you? That thing that keeps you up at night? See, I don't waste time anymore tossing and turning, sleepless because of anxiety and worry, and I'm not making light of this. I'm not shaming anyone if you have been dealing with anxiety. I want to encourage you. If I'm going to lie awake, see, it's not that I don't lie awake, but if I am going to lie awake, I am going to make sure that I am sitting with the the government official of the highest authority, and it is not fear. If anxiety and worry is disturbing my sleep, I get up, I get out of my bed, I turn my worship on, and I have a roundtable discussion with the one who is in authority over my life. It can be 2 o'clock in the morning. It can be 4 o'clock in the morning. But I refuse to lay in bed and toss and turn. He's the one who has the last word the final authority. Fear doesn't have the last word. Failure does not get the last word. Drug relapse does not get the last word. Loneliness doesn't have the last word. Shame doesn't have the last word. Unforgiveness doesn't have the last word. Broken relationships does not have the last word. Disease does not have the last word. Anger does not have the last word. Offense does not have the last word. Sin does not have the last word. Condemnation does not have the last word. Discouragement does not have the last word. Christ is the final word. See, when something dominates, it does it with force and intimidation. But when there's an authority that is set up, it is pure, it is holy, and it is all-powerful. See, the Lord will never dominate your life, but he will definitely be the authority over it if you will allow him. For more information about this or other media resources, please visit our website at world-impactministries.com. Thanks for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Our prayer is that you are encouraged and strengthened by this message.